company squashing other deals because they've already been squished. Freeze a frame of our moves the same. Wish we can continue right behind the bush. You'll stay with me, I know this, but not because of all my earthly treasures or regardless to the fact that I'm passing the noose, but because... Hello and welcome to episode 290 of Section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryce. And we don't have Jacob with us today, but it is more of the same for the Toronto Blue Jays. They split a four-game series against the Cleveland Guardians. And Bryson, they score seven runs in four games. I don't even know where you start with a series like this. Well, first of all, I'm glad for the YouTube side that we have video back uh, for this <laughs> yes. episode. Shout out to Jacob for that blender. But yeah, I think, honestly, shout out to, it was, I believe it was Keegan Matheson who said it. And it was probably the tweet that described the entire series. It was perfect about how he said, the Blue Jays' world, road to the World Cup continues after basically <laughs> all of the scores that they had throughout these last four games, I guess, besides the one today uh, on Thursday. It felt like just absolutely boring games in terms of I mean first of all good pitching but that's been something that we've expected all year and it's been happening all year but the biggest red flag goes back to the offense it goes back to what we were saying the last episode of how we didn't want to completely overreact over what happened in Boston and unfortunately those same bats that were in Boston didn't exactly make the trip to Cleveland and that's kind of where we are story of the season kind of back to square one and we just at this point you at this point when they play games you have no idea what you're going to get out of them offensively yeah that's for sure I mean you look at this series in the grand scheme of things seven runs scored uh 13 runs combined across both teams so just absolutely nothing happening and speaking of Keegan Matheson he had another tweet I said Blue Jays in 30 should be Blue Jays in 30 seconds this take, I, I think that was the game where the Blue Jays won one zero with the Springer home run. Like just absolutely nothing happening. And that's not to say there wasn't drama. There was plenty of it. I mean, you look at the series finale, George Springer getting ejected, John Schneider getting ejected. And then of course you have some of those tense moments in the seventh inning bases loaded. And the Blue Jays did make things happen at some points, but of course, most of the time they didn't. And that's what made this so painful. Third fewest combined runs for both teams in a four game series in club history uh just absolutely nothing happening offensively and it goes back to what we've been talking about all year those disappointments offensively so I I don't know do you want to kick things off with the frustrations like I I think the final game of this series kind of encapsulated most of it where the Blue Jays had bases loaded they had the makings of a huge inning and a huge comeback and then they do nothing with the bases loaded and they managed to work themselves out of it with strikeouts and ground balls and weak fly balls barely out of the infield like just disappointment everywhere you look for the Blue Jays and I guess I mean you were right last episode when I said I was feeling a little bit hopeful about this offense that David Schneider would input some new energy into this team you were right it it's just a fleeting moment. This team finds a way to disappoint at every turn. Yeah, I mean, it's just because it's just been, it's just a repeat uh, common occurrence. And then that's why it just, for me, um, it remained in terms of you needed to see more, you needed to see more. And unfortunately, that did not happen uh, this year. You talked about, I guess you started off, yeah, with the uh, the Thursday game, which was the series finale, which happened today. I mean, yeah, it's the getting... 
just the bases loaded and not scoring any runs. It just I still don't understand how pos like how that's possible and how they're so good at not executing on that. It just at this point it's just a lot of confusion and even throughout this series, um, as much as there were a lot of double plays, which we have seen a lot, the one thing I noticed too is especially in the middle games of the series, or at least the first three games, there was a lot of fly balls, and it just felt like the ball was just dying in the air uh, whenever they hit it. So I don't know, you know, it, for me, that's just something I kind of noticed that was a bit different. Usually it's a lot of more strikeouts and ground balls, which still happen throughout the series, but a lot of fly balls to the series, and it just was a lack, a lack of execution once again. You know, the problem, it's never, uh, the problem's never of them getting on base. It's, of course, bringing them, uh, bringing them in and that you know there were games where they had multiple hits that wasn't exactly the issue I mean there was nine hits in game two game one there was five hits game three there was eight hits and that's when they only scored one run and then game four today they had 10 hits so that's never been the problem um, individual people here and there again are still playing well like you were talking about George Springer again having a really good series and of course Kevin Biggio was the hero uh, in the opening game of the series as well and that was definitely an interesting game just because of the fact of what happened to Hanjin Ryu and you know you had to go to the bullpen a little bit early the game was you know he, he gave them a chance to win of course and was pitching very good before he went down with that uh, knee contusion so that was also um, exciting that Kevin Biggio did that and you know it just an opportunity where he came off um, finally got some playing time and of course that hasn't exactly been happening with him or a guy like Santiago Espinal consistently since the Blue Jays got Paul DeYoung and David Schneider was called up so that was also one of the highlights individually and there were a couple others throughout the series but not a lot and then of course the team the whole team aspect thing it just remains the same problem I mean the runners in scoring position stats throughout the series it wasn't dreadful like we saw um, I guess earlier before that Boston series uh, is I guess uh, specifically the Baltimore series which happened in the last homestand but it's still it's not enough and I think the worst uh, numbers they had with runners in scoring position was either game three when they won one for six and then of course today in in the uh, the Thursday game where they had 13 opportunities with runners in scoring position and they you know they brought in some runs of course it was five for 13 but a lot of these runs came closer also to the end of the game and then they came within the one run, especially or what happened today on Thursday. And then they came up short after kind of a you know a shaky start uh, from both starters. It felt like early on in the game. It was Alec Manoa versus Noah Syndergaard, two guys who haven't had the greatest seasons. And of course, Noah Syndergaard, not exactly the same pitcher since he had his Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago. So both of those guys, a little bit shaky starts. And then it felt like around the second inning when uh, it was 2-1, it felt like it was going to be a game of high-scoring offense where it was going to be, you know, both teams scoring over five runs, and then both guys settled down a little bit. And then, of course, we talked about how the Jays had their opportunities to get back in the game, and later in the game they did do that, but, of course, still not doing it enough of in terms of the opportunities they had, and, of course, falling one run short, which did suck. But, I mean, overall throughout the series, it just... It wasn't exactly the best baseball to watch. It wasn't fun whatsoever because of the fact that each game did feel like a soccer game um, in terms of one nothing, one nothing. The Blue Jays and Guardians trade that uh, in Game 2 and Game 3. And then in Game 1, of course, we talked about it a little bit uh, a couple minutes ago in terms of what happened after that. So that's, I guess, the only takeaway you can have from it. You come away with a split, which isn't exactly the worst thing. But in terms of where both teams are, this should have been at least three out of four. And I think both, pretty much all of us said that uh, when we recorded uh, the last episode, of, um, of course, for the series preview. And then just knowing now that in terms of the playoff race, 
you know, the Seattle Mariners who are becoming a threat uh, to the Blue Jays in terms of where the position or in terms of positioning in the wild card race. They're only two games back or a game and a half back now after what happened today. And it's still not exactly a comfortable lead. I know the Jays are also still hanging in there with the Astros, which is good, who did play Baltimore um, this week as well. So they traded a couple wins uh, from both sides. So the Jays are still in distance with the Astros. They're getting closer to the, the Rays as well, which is definitely something else to keep an eye out. But I mean, it's just you get nervous in terms of seeing um, the Mariners behind the Jays like that. And, you know, they're catching fire. They're 9-1 and one over their last 10 games. And the Jays are still, you know, again, not playing the worst baseball over what happened of course what happened last weekend and then what happened this week they definitely need to have a good homestand they need to do good this weekend it just for me it felt like another you know not a complete failure of a series but I just felt like a missed opportunity because of the you know just you know you want to take at least three to four from the guardians and then of course on top of that just kind of the offensive woes returning and just the same type of offense that you saw in Boston didn't happen in Cleveland and I think that's also kind of where uh, the disappointment factors in on that. And we just have to understand it feels like going forward, the reality is that you really don't know what you're going to get out of the offense. And this team is really reliant on the starting pitching. Of course, it's not exactly fair. I mean, you look at the game, game three, when they had, when they won one, nothing, everyone knows in terms of that's asking a lot, even from your bullpen, uh, when they get into the game like that. So these are the way the Blue Jays have won majority of their games this season. It shouldn't be anything new to anybody. Of course, I don't think it is. It's just frustrating that it keeps going back to this point when you want them to take that next step and you know hit a lot more consistently. We just didn't see that in terms of um, failing to execute opportunities that they had, and they had plenty like you talked about. Definitely today, for me as well, was the most frustrating game, which happened in Game 4. So that's the problem with that. And, you know, uh, it's just, it's kind of like a flip a coin, maybe even less odds than flipping a coin. It's just, it really just has its flashes and then it goes away. It has its flashes and goes away. And that's just been obviously the concerning part throughout the entire year. It remains the same problem. Yeah. It feels like uh, for years we've been wanting this team to get better pitching wise. And you always look at teams like the Milwaukee Brewers and say, ah, you know, I just wish we had their pitching staff. I just wish we had their bullpen and their dominant starters and everything. And yeah, maybe their offense sucks, but I would trade for that pitching staff any day of the week. And now here we are where the Jays offense, to be straight, just to be flat out, it sucks. It hasn't been there all year, but you look at the pitching staff and the Blue Jays are number one, number one in baseball in Team ERA. They are the best pitching team in baseball. Like, first off, where did this come from? None of us saw this coming. And I guess that's something we can celebrate on the side. But the flip side of it is I'm wondering how any fan of a pitching first team has ever been happy with their team in the past. Like, watching this team is absolute mad. It's maddening. It's absolutely, in it, it makes you go insane. I don't understand how anyone can be of a, a fan and be happy watching a team that is pitching first. Anyways, maybe that's just because we're accustomed in Toronto to a team that's always offense first, so we're losing our minds now, but it boggles my mind. And, you know, just that stat alone, that the Blue Jays are first in baseball in Team ERA. They have a Team ERA of 3.72, right behind them 3.74 is the Seattle Mariners, and then, appropriately, right behind the Seattle Mariners in third is the Cleveland Guardians at 3.77. So you can kind of see where this series took shape and why it was so dull offensively, but man, like... 
I don't know where this came from, and I don't know how on earth you find a way to be happy watching this team. Like, we should be happy, right? The 13 games above 500, yes, they're losing these games in terrible ways, but they're in the postseason spot. Like, there are so many things to check off the list of what you can be happy about this season, and the massive success of the pitching staff is one of them, but I don't know. It, it makes you go insane. If you think about it too long, you will lose your mind. It's absolutely maddening, so I don't know. That's kind of... We've talked about this week after week after week, but that's the only new thought I have on the offense this week. Yeah, and I think even, I guess, going back to what you're saying about how it does feel a little bit shocking in terms of these pitching numbers, I think for me, you know, I I guess the rotation you can include in there, but I think the bigger surprise and the kind of the most, the more eye-opening thing is definitely the bullpen in terms of how good they've been. And they've, of course, you've been talking about it. They've been almost the best in baseball um, pretty much throughout the or majority of the season. And that's been something where, I remember, I mean, we all remember frequently, especially on this podcast from a couple years ago, even dating back to last year, about how the holes in this bullpen are affecting the team. There was the whole phase where, you know, the bullpen was blowing a lot of games late in, or blowing a lot of leads late in games. And that was one of the major issues from a couple years ago. And it just feels like it's just kind of, it is strange how this season that hasn't been the case uh, for pretty much majority of the season and pretty much all the season. And now it's, because of the offense in terms of just failing to capitalize on their opportunities. And yeah, as much as you look at where they are in terms of their record and everything like that, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. I For me, it, as much as it's, of course, fun watching this team and blah, 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 or at least just enjoying the <laughs> baseball season, for me, I it hasn't exactly been fun uh, watching this team because of this. It's it's kind of a weird, it's a bizarre feeling in terms of how where they are, which is of course isn't the worst in the world at all. I mean, they're in a playoff spot, blah blah blah, and they're in contention. But it's just the ways they've been winning, they've been you know, and of course just the frustrations that have come with it. It's definitely taken away from some of that, and it just kind of I don't know. It's a little bit underwhelming, I think, to describe this season so far. And it's just it is kind of weird again to say that for a team who's sixty five and fifty two. But I mean. It's just bizarre in terms of the expectations and everything like that, and we can never get a we can never get a read on it either. No matter how many people try and I guess analyze this offense or kind of just try and predict when this is going to end, nobody really has unfortunately gotten it correct uh, in terms of the amount of times that everyone's been optimistic, and it's been countless times uh, this season. And all of a sudden, the next game happens or the next series happens, and we're right back to square one. I mean, as much as of course the Guardians do have good pitching for the most part, and they're kind of similar. Uh, in terms of that, with good pitching, and then of course their offense is even more dreadful um, than the Blue Jays, and you know uh, that was talked about a lot uh, throughout this past series. But as much as that's been the case, it's just been, it's it's just unfortunately just underwhelming to watch. Unfortunately, and, and yeah, I mean that's been the problem of the season is that nobody can kind of figure things out in terms of what exactly is wrong. Is it approaches? Is it lack of changes throughout who knows if it's adjustments I mean it has to be a part of it but no hitting expert this far and of course is you can say that without a doubt because of course the their own pitch or their own hitting staff can't even figure it out and I think that's that's the problem with that and I'm sure the you know the players definitely know all this stuff that's been go you know that's being talked about in the lack of execution but I mean it's just yeah it, it is strange how they haven't been able to figure that out four months later I think we were kind of all at the understanding at the beginning of the year when this was happening that this was something that was going to be fixed you know by the summer and here we are in on August 10th to be exact and still nothing has exactly changed and of course now you get to the point of this is who they are 
and nothing's exactly going to change significantly for the rest of the way. So if people are comfortable watching these low-scoring games and if the starting pitching is going to you know, deliver for most the most part, then this is how it feels like for the rest of the way they're going to win games, how they are going to get into the playoffs potentially. And of course, we'll see what, what happens from there. But yeah, definitely uh, underwhelming, definitely just not as exciting as you may think. Um, watching this team this year and there's been a lot of just up and down moments it's just it's definitely been something that I think not a lot of us or pretty much any of us had expected uh, throughout the year and it's just I guess the same occurrence from this past week I guess the one positive silver lining to all of this is I mean the cliche pitching wins championships defense wins championships if you get into the playoffs and your pitching staff keeps performing like this I think like we could be talking about a completely different team. Like, this is a team that, I guess, whether it looks like it or not, it certainly didn't look like this in Cleveland, but it's a team that's kind of built for the playoffs right now. Like, the way the defense is valued, the way the pitching staff has been dominant this year, like, it's a team that's built to perform in the playoffs. And so I guess that's a silver lining that you can take from all this is you're not going to be relying in the on the offense in the playoffs. You're going to be relying on the pitching and that's what's going to get you far so I don't know maybe we can hang our hat on that but we can talk till we're blue in the face about our disappointments in the offense let's talk about some things that were unique to this series uh first of all I guess some of the offensive standouts maybe a bit of whiplash from what we were just talking about but George Springer you mentioned it he had a good series he had seven hits Whit Merrifield stayed hot at the top of the lineup he had six hits and then John Schneider I or not John David Schneider I know I mean, I guess hits-wise, this series was a disappointment, a bit of a letdown from what happened in Fenway. Obviously, whatever he did following that series in Fenway is going to be a letdown because, you know, you're not going to have nine hits on a weekend and every every series. But um, I was kind of impressed with what he did. Like, I know a, lo- a lot of people might not say that because he didn't have a single hit, but he had three walks. And I think he was kind of a pesky at-bat towards the bottom of the lineup when he was hitting there. And I think, like... Ultimately, you love for some of that offensive success to reemerge, but I was kind of happy with what he was able to do in this series. That might not be a popular opinion, but seeing him be patient, seeing him take walks, I'm not complaining about what he did in this series. Yeah, neither am I. I don't know how you felt also, um, and I believe it was game, was it game one? It was game one. I don't. I didn't like how he was hitting leadoff that game. I just, no, for me, it doesn't, yeah. Exactly. And it's not fair to the guy. I really don't think so either. So I don't even really look at that game to kind of, I guess, analyze it fairly because of that. It's just, again, a tough situation. And yeah, I mean, obviously it didn't work out. And I I don't know what decision was behind that in terms of to throw him up there in his whatever, his fourth game or whatever it was or fifth game. Um, But anyways, like you were saying, yeah, I mean, the other game he did play where he had the three walks, they were definitely really good at bats. He was very patient, and that's the one thing um, that's been pretty much noted about him throughout his development in the minor leagues is that he's always been patient, and he doesn't exactly chase as much as other people do, as much as he, of course, this series he did a little bit, but not, you know, not to the, uh, I guess, to a range where it was completely out of this world. And it, like you were saying, that one game he did have was definitely impressive with the three walks. You know, nobody was expecting him to sustain a 600 batting average. And I think, of course, everyone knew that he was going to cool off at some point, maybe a little bit sooner than we expected. Or maybe this is something where he can pick right up, pick it right back up on the weekend. You know, he's going to have his first games at home now. And maybe um, that's also going to help him a little bit. Who knows? But nobody was ever expecting him to sustain what he did in Boston. He's definitely still 
produced throughout this series some pretty good at-bats like you're talking about in that only game where he did walk three times and he's a pretty decent defender as well so I'm not overly concerned about that of course he's going to get more reps throughout this homestand but yeah I mean going back to game one didn't like that and of course he was one of the standouts for sure just because of the fact that this the series alone was just so low offensively so I guess that that will I'll include that as well as one of the standouts because of that, just the patience he showed in that game. And yeah, I mean, George Spring would be my other option. Of course, we mentioned Kevin Biggio. So those are really the most, I think for the most part, the people throughout this series that were kind of, I, I would say that it pretty much performed to the fullest. I mean, nobody else really had a, a lot going on uh, offensively in terms of that. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had a couple hits here and there. He went two for four in game two, I believe, and as well as in game three. So he had a couple good hits as well. Still not, you know, where I think all of us want him to be at, um, which is something that's kind of been also the story of the season as well. So other than that, though, I really, as much as, you know, it pains me to say it, there's really nobody else that you can kind of circle around there. I mean, of course, Whit Merrifield had a three-hit game in game two. I guess that's something that you can also include. Um, and I think he had a couple hits today as well in game four. So, so far, he's been, for the most part, I think, adapted pretty well to the leadoff role. Of course, it's a very good fit for him. He's been getting on base a ton of years. It's This is a career year for him, it feels like, so far, of how good he's been playing um, in terms of that. And, of course, ever since taking over for a struggling George Springer as well, it was very you know, important for him to, you know, I guess adapt quickly to the leadoff role and pretty much just do very well in that, despite the fact that the runs still aren't coming uh, from a whole team standpoint. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to kind of go outside any more other people and kind of highlight anybody else. It was just one of those series where it was just vanilla in terms of offensively. And definitely, other than that, it was just frustrating, that which which we've already covered. And, of course, it goes back to what you talked about at the beginning uh, with Davis Schneider, who gets another, you know, not exactly the the results he probably wanted going back to what happened in Boston but yeah the one game where he did walk three times they were very good at bats and it was you know refreshing to see I guess not the same guy chasing in terms of what we've seen through other hitters on this lineup if you can understand a little bit uh to that and other than that I'm hoping for him to respond as well this weekend um at Rogers Center and of course throughout this homestand I think that's going to be a good test for him but of course um nobody expected him to remain or sustain that 600 batting average on Whit Merrifield, okay, how many games do you think he's let off the batting order? Like this season? Yeah. Because this... It's got to be... I was way off this number. Is it almost at 10? Okay, so you're a lot closer. It's, he's oh, at 15. Okay. okay. I, I don't know why That's I had crazy. it in my mind that he's been doing this for a while. I thought he was at like 30 or 40 games, but no, he's still... Kind of fresh in the leadoff spot. Of course, he spent more time batting sixth than batting seventh. 38th games at the sixth hole, 24 games in the seventh hole, and then 15 games first, 15 games at fifth, and then a couple games at eighth and second in the lineup. But, yeah, he's been doing well. Like, if you look at the stats, I mean, technically he's hit better in the seventh hole. He has a 312 average hitting down at the bottom of the lineup this season so far. Hitting first, he's got a 286 average, so it's noticeably worse, but it's like, when you replace George Springer with someone else, like George Springer is, by the numbers, one of the best leadoff hitters in baseball history. Like, there's look at the numbers, and the numbers will tell you that. So when you replace someone like that at the top of the lineup, you got to be taking a gamble, and you got to be putting trust in whoever you're putting there. And clearly, Whit Merrifield has been up for the job, and he's done a really good job 
of setting the table and being effective at the top of the lineup and attacking pitchers and being patient when he needs to. And so all these things combined to make him a really good fit. And I've been really, really happy to see him perform at the top of the lineup. And just this season overall, like it's been, I don't know, I don't think we had high expectations for Whit Merrifield going into this year. But, um, you know, I, I think at the start of the year, if you're asking someone, do you pick up his option? Uh, the answer is automatically no. Like, the Jays don't want it. But, um, you know, the situation's kind of totally changed now where it's much more of a conversation. Of course, it depends on what he does because it's a mutual option. And so the door is open for him saying no. And I think he probably will after the season he's had so far. But um, the table's totally flipped on where we are at, we're at the start of the season with Whit Merrifield. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about the injury scares in this series. I guess the first we've touched on a little bit, Hinge and Ryu. He gets hit with a line drive back to the mound in the knee uh, at the end of the fourth inning. He records the out, throws the ball over to the first base, and then he kind of collapses in pain on the infield grass. Uh, It looks really bad. It looks like he broke something or tore something. It was kind of a, a scary moment, but he walks off the field mostly on his own power, and we hear from the Jays that it is a contusion x-rays are negative which is kind of the best case scenario uh he's supposed to start on Sunday in this series against the Chicago Cubs we will see if he does there are now rumors swirling tonight that he's going to be headed to the injured list and Hagen Danner is getting the call up to the majors so we'll see if that happens um I wouldn't be surprised I think it makes sense if that happens especially with what we've seen uh, in terms of other injuries recently, like Bo day-to-day, it's not that big of a deal. Just kidding, headed to the injured list. Kevin Kiermaier, day-to-day, not that big of a deal. Just kidding, headed to the injured list. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Blue Jays do that with Hinjin Ryu. And of course, Hagen Danner adding an arm to a bullpen that's already really strong. It makes sense as a move. So I don't know, I'm curious what you think. Like, does it? What were your initial thoughts when you saw the injury? And do you think he's headed to the injured list? Well, first of all, thank goodness it's nothing worse than what it did look like. Like for me, the original reaction was I actually thought he did something worse when he ran or he when he made the play and was running afterward. Like I thought something happened where his knee buckled again or anything like that. It just for me, that's kind of where my first thought was, but it turns out it was kind of just an adrenaline thing where he got you know the liner off the leg or the knee and then he was destined to finish the play and good for him for doing that of course um but it just it definitely did look bad and I'm glad for a guy like Hunjin Ryu who can't catch a break uh, in terms of the last couple years I'm glad it's nothing more serious than what that is and if if he does miss time or if he does go on the IL which so far we haven't heard of course you know John Schneider confirmed it but then there was the that report so it's kind of hard to say what is true or not, but I think the one conclusion that you can make is if it's an IL stint, it shouldn't be too long. It might be one turn through, and I think that's definitely one of the best-case scenarios because of the fact, of course, um, it just looked a lot worse. And for a guy like Ryu, you're rooting for him. I mean, before or after that play happened, before that, he was pitching really well um, after four innings. He was definitely way more sharp in terms of his, his very first start against the Orioles a couple weeks ago. And he was striking some guys out. The velocity was ticking up a little bit too. He he looked a, he looked very comfortable, and he was definitely on his way to at least five or six innings, and possibly seven. I don't know if you want to go that far for somebody who's still beginning their season this late. But either way, he was on his way to a quality start, and I'm glad that it's not going to be too long. The other good part is that 
there's flexibility because right now they are doing a six man rotation. So it's an easy, I guess, adapt. Like it's easy for them to adapt if there is going to be an IL move. And of course, going to that report so far, I believe it, it included in the report is that there was going to be no reliever arms going down. So it sounds like it is an injury related thing. Um, and I guess we're going to, of course, we're going to find out tomorrow on Friday or by the time you're listening to this now, the news is already out. So definitely going to be curious. I wouldn't be surprised either way. It's just for me, I don't know how much I believe it's Ryu connected because of what John Schneider said, but I'm, of course I could be wrong and it could be something along those lines and maybe it's something completely different. Who knows? That would also be a shock, but that was definitely one of the injury concerns. You mentioned it as well. Danny Jansen can't catch a break either. Another guy who keeps getting hit in the hand uh, throughout the year. He went through x-rays again today. They were negative, which is good. Um, and, of course, you talk about the Boba Shed updates. It sounds like he's starting to ramp up baseball activity a little bit more, which is also good. It doesn't sound like, though, he'll be back, of course, this week. And I don't know. I Probably not this homestand either. Maybe the next road trip you might get a – There's there might be a chance for him to come back as well. And something else that um, – I guess we can mention too, which definitely impacts the Blue Jays now because we were so close to it happening, which is Chad Green. Of course, he's now in the concussion IL where he's been shut down for at least seven days, and he was probably another appearance or two away from finally making his debut or finally joining this Blue Jays bullpen, and that's definitely, I guess, a little bit of a bummer because now he has to shut things down for seven days, and they kind of have to not restart it entirely, but kind of in a way just redo it in terms of re- his rehab assignment. Like his rehab assignment is going to expire within the week and they're going to have to redo it now. And you have to kind of build him back up again uh, in AAA. So hopefully closer towards the end of August now, he's back, which is definitely a little bit of a letdown where he was actually hitting the head from a throw or, or on a throw to second base. So kind of a, a freak accident, something that you don't see too often. Of course, it does happen sometimes. And I guess you just hope that he's okay for somebody who's also been just dealing with a lot the last couple of years. So those kind of that's kind of where we are there. The Hagen Danner thing is going to be probably the highlight of tomorrow, though, for me on Friday, because, of course, it's definitely it's impacting the Major League roster as of tomorrow. And this is a guy who we heard a lot about in spring training. We heard a lot about as well, closer to the end of last season. And there's even some talk of maybe last season was going to be the year he made his debut finally but of course that didn't happen he impressed some guys in spring training as well this season and we felt like it was inevitable at some point in 2023 you would see him on the big league roster and it sounds like um as of tomorrow um or of course on august 11th that might be the case so that's going to be kind of interesting if that's going to be connected to ryu if it's going to be connected to something else and if it is connected to something else that's going to be even more of a surprise because i don't know if there's anything that we can really think of that's possible for that especially you know just pretty much naming all the circumstances on that but i think the most important part for me as well is knowing that hunchin ryu if this isn't a season ending thing for him he's going to be back at some point and of course for a guy like ryu as well he can't afford to exactly miss any more time the fact that they are temporarily in a six-man rotation for his sake he's going to try or you know he's going to want to impress and try to stay in that rotation or at least, you know, have a spot on this team for late in the season and possibly the postseason. So I think this last stretch for him in the last couple of months is also very important for him. And I think he definitely caught a break um, that he's not going to be missing too much time, if any, or if there's if he just makes his next schedule start on Sunday. Yeah, silver lining, I think, to this. Not to be the eternal optimist, but you do have a six-man rotation. Like, Yeah. I mean, you're rooting for you. You want him to be healthy and pitching effectively at the major league level but like 
if he's not, it's not the end of the world. Like if he is injured, you've still got five guys who are effective and can go out there every day and keep up this best pitching staff in the league, which still boggles my mind. So it's not like the end of the world if you lose him to the injured list. So I guess that's the silver lining to all of this. Um, Okay, I guess to wrap all this up, we can touch a little bit on what's going to happen this weekend with Chicago in town. Jose Bautista is making his return to the Rogers Center as well as some old familiar Jays. Uh, former manager John Gibbons is going to be at the Rogers Center for the first time since he managed the Blue Jays. I think Ricky Romero is going to be in attendance from what we've seen. Jose Reyes is also rumored really? to be in attendance. Wow. Uh, I don't know if that was just a random guy on Twitter saying that or if that's legitimate intel that we actually can rely on, but that's something, a name as well that's been floated around. Uh, so a lot of guys coming back to celebrate his name being added to the level of excellence. Of course, there's going to be crazy lines outside the dome on Saturday morning to get that bobblehead. Um, I mean, I guess we can, we can talk about it more next episode, but like for all of us, Jacob included, like Jose Bautista, I, I mean, we speak for everyone in the fan base when we say he means so much to every single fan. Like what he did for this team, where he took them in 2015 and 2016, but ultimately like just who he was in this city and what he meant to everyone. Uh, he was an iconic figure, is an iconic figure in Toronto sports history. And so we are very much looking forward. Uh, I'll be in attendance, J Jacob and Bryson, you'll both be in attendance as well. So we're very much looking forward to this weekend and celebrating a legend of Toronto sports. Yeah, uh, in terms of our lifetime, he was part of our era when we started watching, I guess, day to day. And that's one of the first people we we remember, uh, or pretty much the, the first guy you can think of uh, when you think of that is Jose Bautista. We've talked about all the memories. Everyone knows the memories in terms of his key moments, you know, hitting over 50 home runs the one year, the bat flip, everything like that. Just being the core and being the face of this franchise. He did it for so long, and he finally gets to you know, be honored for that. And, and finally we can celebrate that. And he's going to be the latest name in the level of excellence. I think it's going to be a cool ceremony on Saturday. Um, it sounds like you, it sounds like yeah, in terms of what they've been asking, of course, the bobblehead lineup and everything, but it sounds like the, the ceremony is going to start a little bit earlier before first pitch. It's not going to be one of those things where it starts at 307 and then the game starts at like 345 it's gonna it sounds like whoever is going to get there very early uh f of course for the chance to get the bobble hand and just to be there for the uh the celebration and the ceremony I, you know i knew john gibbons was going some other names that you mentioned as well did not know about i i you know wonder about some other guys as well that was part of that team i even wonder like a guy like josh donaldson if he's going to be there because he's currently on the injured list again uh, for the Yankees this season. So it, it's going to be cool to see the former names that turn out uh, on Saturday. First of all, starting with Gibby, I think that's going to be cool for him to be there as well. And just seeing Bautista, though, himself is definitely going to be the highlight too because for me, I believe that would be the first time he's also in Toronto since his last year that he was in the big leagues. So I don't know if he's been back since. I don't think he's been back since. So that's going to be pretty cool too. And I really do hope and I think – we're all under the expectation that it's going to be a pretty well done ceremony. The Blue Jays are usually pretty good with how that all that stuff's handled. So I hope they make the most of it. I hope it's a really memorable celebration. This has been something that's been circled on a lot of people's calendars going back to when it was pretty much announced uh, the moment when, and of course, since that, 
um, a lot of tickets have been sold. And of course, as of now, it's going to be sold out as well. And it's been sold out for a couple months now. So this is something that a lot of people had circled. You know, everyone knows the importance of what Jose Bautista did throughout his time here. And of course, um, just for me, and I think everybody else, the most famous part is that bat flip, which, which happened in 2015. But I mean, it's just crazy to think about all the stuff that he did accomplish. And I'm happy that we can finally, I guess, celebrate that because it feels like it's a long time coming. And I know that originally when the news broke, he said that this was something that they actually wanted to do starting last year or a couple years ago. Of course, the pandemic and everything kind of slowed things down. And I don't think last year they had a, you know, they could have, I guess, aligned themselves with a proper date to do it. So I'm glad they finally found a date to do it this season. Saturday is going to be very special seeing him in the level of excellence to see Jose back in Toronto again. And I think he's going to speak, I believe, to the people as well, to the fans for a little bit too. So everything about the celebration and the ceremony on Saturday, I'm looking forward to along with everybody else. And of course, we're going to be lucky enough to be in the building for that. And it's going to be something that's very memorable and can't wait to be there for the game. Yeah, kind of the defining player of our first uh, introduction to baseball fandom. So it's going to be a very special day. And yeah, I mean, I you remember the bat flip. You remember all the defining moments. I remember his final game at the Rogers Center and the ovation he got then. And of course, all the tears among baseball fans. And I actually made a road trip to New York to see his final game as a Blue Jay. And that's a special moment as well. So um, yeah, very much uh, looking forward to Saturday. It's going to be a special day. Um, okay, so we got three games against Chicago Cubs outside of Saturday. There's also games on Friday and Sunday. Uh, what are our series predictions? So the Cubs, of course, are in a a very bad division and are remain in contention to possibly win it. And, of course, they were so close to selling. They didn't do it. Looking at the probables this weekend, also Marcus Stroman will not be pitching. Uh, I think he is on the IL right now anyway, so I guess I, I'm sure he'll be here, though, of course, to be there, part of Jose Bautista's celebration like that. So definitely an opportunity missed for him to possibly pitch at Rogerson. I'm sure he would have probably wanted to do that as well. And, I mean, if you look at the probables, you got Barrios on Friday, and then, of course, you got Bassett on Saturday and Sunday. As of now, according to John Schneider, it is Hunjin Ryu, but we still don't know that for sure, uh, basically on the what the possible corresponding move is. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be another close series and a tough series because of, especially, I guess, where our thoughts are in terms of what where the offense left off. Another thing to quickly mention is that Friday night's game, which is, of course, tomorrow when we recorded this, it's an Apple TV game uh, for the but from the way it looks, I saw your face there, Mark. So I'm confident with Barrios, of course, pitching tomorrow. I'm confident with with all these guys really this weekend. I'm, but I'll say, I'll say they win two out of three, and they win Friday and Saturday. I, I don't know how confident I am for Sunday, and I have to include Saturday because that's the Bautista celebration. Um, I just can't. I I don't want to predict anything else for that one. So I'll say two out of three, and they win Friday and Saturday. Okay, I've got Jacob on the phone. Oh, and he just responded. Wow. He's going wow. to sweep of this series. Interesting. Audacious. Uh, okay. Um, I'm with you. I'm going two and one. Uh, unlike you, I think oh. this team is cursed and they're going to lose the Bautista game. Like, the only thing that could ruin such a special wow. day is them not performing with runners in scoring position. And I just have a feeling that this team is not going to perform with runners in scoring position. They're cursed. It's a cursed team this year. So I can... It just it makes too much sense not pre- not to predict it. So 
I'm going to go they lose on Saturday. They win Friday. They win Sunday. Uh, and Jacob goes with the sweep. So just to update the standings, we're all in the exact same place. We all went 3-1 and one in this Cleveland series, and none of us got a perfect record. So we're all in the exact same place we were before. Uh, Bryson, you're still in the lead by three points over me. And as we discovered with a little bit of live math in the last episode, Jacob is 16 points behind you. Um, Okay, looking forward to this series. It's going to be a special one over the weekend in Toronto. As always, you can support our podcast by going to the links below this episode where you can find our Instagram, our Twitter, our TikTok, our Bias a Coffee page, the link to join our Discord. Uh, everything we got going on, we got linked below this episode. So I encourage you to check that out. Uh, and looking forward to Saturday. Looking forward to a fun weekend in the city of Toronto. We'll catch you at the end of it.